1: news radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
3: this is the brian kilmeade show with allison pete and eric my name is harry hurley filling in today for brian and i welcome you to the brian kilmeade show which has earned its place on what i call the mount rushmore of talk radio programs in america that is not new Uh, Brian has been on the Mount Rushmore in terms of the top four. Talkers Magazine places Brian on its Mount Rushmore of radio talk show hosts in America, moving Brian from four to three over the course of the past year. Uh, This is a list that everyone, I don't care who you are, whoever says they don't care about it, isn't on it. Because this is the list. There's only room for 100 and Brian Kilmeade is number three, the host of Fox and Friends, One Nation with Brian Kilmeade, Saturday night at 8 p.m. You can follow Brian at BrianKilmeade.com and com. Brian is also a New York Times bestselling author. And I'll tell you, I'm so excited. You know, we've been pumping up for a long time the president and the freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's Soul and then of course the second iteration that's available right now in, in the paperback edition. So you can go to BrianKilmead.com and Brian will autograph that for you. Fabulous type of um, gift stuff that you can do for friends and, and family and they'll love it. And I, I have called Brian really our great American historian of of this era. And also I'm so excited you can order it now. It's available for pre-order. Teddy and Booker T. This book is going to be absolutely phenomenal, and I'm predicting this is not a bold prediction. I'm predicting in advance uh, it will be way, way up on the New York Times bestseller list where Brian Kilmeade, every one that he releases, becomes a New York Times bestselling uh, book. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's on the Brian, Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline. We'll welcome him in just a little bit. Uh, And that is Griff Jenkins, Fox News correspondent extraordinaire. And, you know, Griff, he's been doing incredible work on the border, uh, really has distinguished himself uh, tremendously. And also uh, his pedigree in being able to talk about everything that's happening currently, which we're going to talk about the upcoming Republican primary debate schedule, because obviously there's a lot going on with that. There's a great clamor. Fox News. Uh, and it's going to be a huge night for the Fox News Channel and really for the process, because it will be the first time. You know, This is one of those things where you never know uh, if you were looking at where things stood uh, a couple of election cycles ago when President Trump became the Republican nominee. And not many people thought that he would be the nominee when he came down the uh, golden escalator at Trump, ta- uh, Trump Tower with then future first lady melania not many people were betting on trump i was i, I just know his ability uh to do the ultimate takedown I, i've actually seen him uh in the what was then called the wwf which they had to give up because of the wildlife federation had the uh ownership of the name and became wwe trump has even been in and on you know the mat the ring of a WWE match. He is very good at the art of the deal and the art of the takedown. And did he dispatch Jeb with or without the exclamation mark? My goodness, did did he dispatch him quickly with one slam? He said, low energy Jeb. And he put, uh, who was the wrestler? Eric, I know, and Pete will know this for sure. Who had the sleeper hold? In the old days of the WWE, they just you're done. You just put you out with the sleeper hold. He put when I Jeb was a Bush, kid, it was uh, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. We there you go, the Ted DiBiase. Dream. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. He cannot be stopped. Pete, you you've got it all when it comes to these types of TV and movie trivia. I look forward to doing a segment with you all about that. So you got the takedown. And then one by one, whether it was low-energy Jeb or Little Marco, and one after the other. And if you played ball with him, he left you alone. You tried to lay a glove on him, he took you down. Joining us, and he can talk about all of this, is Fox News correspondent and my longtime great friend, Griff Jenkins. Griff, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: <laughs> hey, Harry, how are you? I am Listen. well.
3: And, and, Griff, we have to keep meeting like this. This makes my day. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
4: listen, I just got off the air talking with Bill and Dana about it. But, by the way, you're invoking uh, wrestling as a kid that grew up in Memphis uh, with the famous Jerry the King Lawler. There you go. Back in the day, I remember the kid getting autographs from uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. But it was that huge dude, the Shake, who did the sleeper. Remember that dude?
3: I do remember the Shake. But also, Ted DiBiase had a sleeper hole, too. Not to I be com- not to that. be confused with Stan the Man Stasiak, who had the heart punch. Okay, <laughs> Listen, he'd take your one arm, put it behind your head, punch you in the heart, and you'd go out and take a nap.
4: Yes, yes, I love it. I love it. Listen, I gotta tell you, it's really it's really fascinating. You know, the hit I just did. It's uh, with Fox's uh, uh, latest. Uh, Fox Business polling numbers now that uh, our Fox Business folks are getting into the thing. It's, you know, look, tr- Trump's got no competition. I mean, let's just be honest about it. I mean, he's commanding lead in South Carolina. He's up 48%. Nikki Haley's a distant second at 14%. Out in Iowa, Trump's got 46% of voters uh, with DeSantis uh, second at 16%. So this is a big deal. But what's really The elephant in the room question, as I told Bill and Dana, is what happens if Trump doesn't show up to the debate and what impact is that going to have? And we really haven't been in this in this situation before.
3: It's true. Some will say, look, Reagan didn't debate. You know, this one didn't debate. Carter didn't debate Ted Kennedy. But this is different, though, because although he was the president, He now is a challenger as well. I I think most people would agree it makes him like a super challenger because he he has won the presidency. But most people want him to be there. They think he should be there. Obviously, him not being there uh, makes it a very different night because one thing, for example, my friend Chris Christie, who's just been brutal to President Trump, he wants to go off on him on that debate stage. It's a lot better if the person's there, than talking about somebody behind their back.
4: Yeah, but here's what's different than Reagan and Carter and everything else is, and by the way, uh, I'll tell you unofficially, I'm also a reporter today that's on indictment watch standby. We expect Donald Trump to be indicted yet again uh, this time by the special counsel in matters relating to January 6th, he's got 37 indictments in Miami from the from the uh, uh, documents case, the classified documents, and then, of course, New York's uh, uh, DA uh, previously indicting Trump. And so in this case, I mean, look, if you don't show up on the debate stage, it's a sign of weakness. But the dynamic is so unique and yeah. historically different because every one of those candidates – are going to have to support Donald Trump, the front runner, in what is perceived by a large majority of the country as politically motivated uh, uh, targeting.
3: Let me, uh, let me, hey, I- Griff. Let me bring up the three things that I've been hearing about that would um, comprise this alleged. And I agree with you; he will be indicted uh, on January sixth, criminal charges. There's no doubt about it; he will be, and it will likely be things like tampering with congressional hearings, uh, defrauding the United States. And this is the kicker, the KKK Act of 1871. Now, unless there's something else, most people that I have heard have said there's no factual link to any of this stuff. And the I, I don't know what you think, Griff, but I know what I think. I think it's very well baked in. You can indict him 1,000 more times and probably on the Republican side, his numbers will continue to go up and his fundraising will continue to go up. However, as a general election candidate, suburban women, independent voters probably will not take very kindly to what could be at the time if if he does more. There's supposed to be even more counts on the initial documents charge uh, if something doesn't go Jack Smith's way. He's prepared to make 30 or more charges, is what I hear. You know that Georgia is coming right behind. That'll just be on a date and time of someone's choosing. President Trump will likely have more than 100 counts of federal indictments, charges, and be the frontrunner, maybe even the frontrunner, if you believe the latest polls and most of the polls in the general election. Is there something to this, Griff, that this just isn't sticking in any way?
4: Well, listen, I mean, you know, starting at the end of the story, working backwards, and we don't know how this story ends, it's certainly uh, clear that the former president is going to have uh, a real uh, uh, difficult tap dance between the legal proceedings against him with this trial and documents case now in May. Of uh, next year, which is dead in the middle of the. Of but the I, I, Riff,
3: I don't think it's going to happen in May. I think it's May right now, just to shut everybody up. Got both yeah. sides mad. Jack Smith wanted it tomorrow. Donald Trump wanted it after the election. Hey guys, you're all unhappy. It's May 24th. How do you love me now? But I think what's going to happen as <laughs> it gets closer, there, the the Trump can't, the campaign, the, the the defense is going to be able to say, look. We're not ready for this. There's a comprehensive number of documents. This is very intensive. How do we even defend the defendant in terms of, of top-secret documents? Jurors are not going to be given top security clearance, Griff. So I think they're going to easily be able to do motions, kick the can. I don't expect any of that before the general election.
4: Well, I think, I think there's a lot to that, and I think you're uh... – your suggestion is 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 a real possibility i mean my goodness i'm not a lawyer but it can't be very hard to make the case and say hey you are putting my uh, client who is the leading candidate in the republican party for president on trial in the midst of the throes of these campaigns which are 24/7 just absolutely grueling campaigns and of course uh that that case i think i think you're probably right if i had to bet i'd bet that you got it right that that it's going to be a delay however
3: but griff let me let me comment on that because i think that's a defense i think that would turn out before a judge to be a losing defense because they're just going to say that's not my problem that's not anybody's problem the way you get this past may 24th and passed the November 1st, Tuesday of 2024 is to say you need more time to put on a proper defense. And that judges, federal judges in particular, are usually very accommodating if you say you need more time because of the intensive, complex nature of all these documents and that you're challenging, you know, that you have five years to negotiate with the um, National Archives, that this should be administrative and not even criminal. I think you get you get past the election by saying you need more time to put your defense on.
4: Yeah. And, you know, I wonder how much consideration for the uh, charge public uh, court of opinion charge against uh, this DOJ. I wonder how much they take into consideration. I mean, it's one thing to indict the the sitting president's top contender it's another thing to convict them that's the stuff we see in countries where democracy is a far cry yeah and i think that that's going to be it's got i've got to believe that's part of the consideration uh when they talk about it delay but we'll see i will say this though and i'm bringing the conversation back a little bit to this debate stage.
3: 30 seconds
4: If he's not on that debate stage, how does any Republican, even Chris Christie, separate themselves because they've all got to support being opposed to the
2: indictments?
3: Although Chris Christie often says that what Trump did is disqualifying anyhow, he's really gone the furthest of all of them. Vivek Ramaswamy has been masterclass, and that's why he's very close now to DeSantis. For second place i'll tell you what trump you expected he, and maybe he's winning by more than anybody thought but vivek ramaswamy he is overachieving
4: he is indeed and he's got a lot he's young he's charismatic and he's yep. got a lot of fresh ideas we'll see where it goes we got more than 400 days and it's really starting to heat up and to,
3: <laughs> griff i can't wait until we talk again always good to be with you my friend thanks harry have a great one you too the great griff jenkins And we'll be right back. Don't go away. It's a busy news day. This is The
0: Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
5: We took it all. We
1: brought them to our land. An endless night,
2: ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth... We made this curse, oh. carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the
6: end,
1: what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. What
7: was particularly disturbing is that it turns out that people inside of the Justice Department were raising what some of us Uh, We're raising outside the Justice Department. That is, we were writing columns saying, isn't the session limitations about to run? Why aren't you doing anything on these crimes from like 2014, 2015? These whistleblowers said, we raised the same issue. And in fact, there was a deal on the table that would extend that session limitations. And Weiss allowed it to to run. The question is why? Uh, why would he tell these whistleblowers he didn't have this authority? Why, when prosecutors signed off on multiple felonies, did it just somehow mysteriously die? Uh, all of those are very serious questions and why this scandal is becoming uh, one of the most significant of my lifetime. I mean, it, if half of this is true, we're dealing with a major scandal
3: uh, in the United States. That is Brian, that is uh, Jonathan Turley, who is one of the finest and most objective experts in America. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, Allison, Pete, Eric, yours truly, Harry Hurley, filling in today for Brian. You just, he's the gold standard. I'll tell you what, hes he doesn't always say what you want to hear, but he says what needs to be said, whether it's popular or it's unpopular. And I've known from the beginning, and as you see, it's it's connecting dots, it's pieces to a puzzle. You see what's happening, and it's happening in real time to where the Democrat media, and I don't say Democratic, notice, the Democrat media, will not be able to ignore it very much longer. This also is very important because President Biden has maintained since the campaign and through the presidency, almost three years now, that, He never talked to his son. He's never met any of these business people. We see the photos. We heard the audio. We now know what Devin Archer is about to say. There's a lot here. Listen to the president in his defense about knowing nothing. He's Artie Johnson on laughing. He sees nothing. He knows nothing. Uh, Eric Cut won. How many times
7: have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings?
3: I've
4: never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings.
7: Did Hunter Biden commit to the crime?
2: Have you spoken to your son, Mr. President Like? my son. Are you confident nothing wrong? I'm, I'm confident. You still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were rushing disinformation <laughs>
7: at his <laughs> gear campaign,
2: like you said.
4: Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You you're a one verse pony.
3: Except no, he's not. He's Peter Ducey and he's anything but that. He's been the one out of the press corps in washington that has held president biden to account and his questions are even more significant now and then there's messrs shapley and Ziegler, under oath confirming 17 million wow we'll be back this is the brian kilmeade show
1: this episode is supported by fx's clipped Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Approximate
7: total transfers from the Romania company would have been 3.1 million to everyone.
5: How much did Hunter Biden and his business associates receive from State Energy HK Limited? Through the Robinson Walker LLC,
3: three million. The total transfers from Hudson West three to everyone was three point seven million. Barisma paid to everyone involved six point five million.
5: Burisma also paid Blue Star Strategies and a law firm hundreds of thousands of dollars, bringing the total Burisma payments to over seven million dollars. Is is that correct?
7: That is correct. Seven point three million
5: between two thousand fourteen and two thousand nineteen. This brings the total amount of foreign income streams received to approximately. $17 million, correct? That is correct.
3: And that is uh, IRS whistleblower, who used to be Mr. X, Joseph Ziegler, uh, in a back and forth with Congressman James Comer, chairman of the House Oversight Committee. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian. And on The Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is John Yannarelli. Uh, pedigree. His books are fantastic, How to Spot a Terrorist Before It's Too Late, Disorderly Conduct, The Oddities of My 20-Year Life as a FBI Special Agent. We're going to draw on that uh, in just a moment, and uh, you can follow him on what used to be Twitter, right? It's now X, I think, or it's going to be X, uh, and it's at FBI John. John is a retired FBI Special Agent, member of the executive staff of the FBI Cyber Division and a member of the FBI SWAT team. Again, his handle at FBI. John, John, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: Good morning, Harry. Thanks for having me back.
3: Well, it's great to be with you. And I'm going to get into these Gil- Gilgo Beach murders because I'm really curious if you see any connection to the four ladies that were killed in my neck of the woods in the Atlantic City area. A lot of chatter about the um, the crimes being similar and, Perhaps, you know, uh, what happened in Massapequa happened here in Atlantic City. And as you know, an unsolved crime after all these years. We'll get to that. But let's talk about something that I don't think a lot of people, they hear sometimes jargon starts to happen. Oh, the forum, 1023. It's a 1023. You know, it's, it's all in the 1023. So what I think is important on The Brian Kilmeade Show is to help educate. And, John, you're the best person I know to do that. What is a Form FD-1023 that is used by FBI special agents?
6: So an FD-1023 is one of 2,000 forms the FBI has. There's a saying in the FBI, if it's not written down, it never happened. (laughs) You have to document everything. And the 1023 is when you meet with a source – You're basically filling out the substance of that meeting, of what the source told you, what information was provided. So that way there's a record of it, and that information can be culled later on and tied to other crimes that may be investigated. You want to have it all written down for not only the agent operating that source, but that information may be helpful to other agents working other cases.
3: John, is it established, or is it just one of those things that people think they know that the person that is behind this information that's been provided to the FBI, the human source. Is this confirmed that it's a human source that has reliably been used by the FBI significant number of times?
6: Great question, Harry. So here's the thing about all this. Now, sources tell us all sorts of things in the FBI, and we document it all. It doesn't necessarily mean what they said is correct or true, or it's been vetted out based on that 1023 form. You have to do other things to make sure that it's accurate and correct. But my understanding with this source, it's been well documented that the source was considered reliable. The source had been used for a number of occasions in investigations. And apparently the source had been paid approximately $200,000 over the period of time working for the FBI. I have had a number of sources in the FBI, all agents are required to have sources. I think I paid out a total of $200 to my sources over the years for the criminal information. Most of them were in trouble and looking to get themselves out of a jam. If you've got a source earning significant money, he's probably considered fairly reliable.
3: I think that's an important comment john so i'll concede that an fd 1023 is used to record raw unverified reporting from confidential human sources that it's not established as fact but it is it is alleged but one thing that is unambiguous and that are the bank records that total millions of dollars if if you listen to what's come out of the hearings, 17 point some odd million, according to Joseph Ziegler and Mr. Shapley, uh, a fellow that I know that's very reliable, that, that's been covering this, thinks it's double that. But the bank records, they aren't alleged. That That is empirical information, isn't it?
6: Absolutely. We seize in the FBI bank records all the time because... The reality is you got to account for income. Where are those sources of money? If the government were to look at you or me, you're not going to find streams of cash coming in from various outlets. It's fairly identifiable. So if you have large amounts of income, how do you explain that? That's what the government should be looking at.
3: John Yannarelli on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline. Now, this is, again, from your wide spectrum of observation and pedigree Devin Archer, who was supposed to testify, then he was supposed to testify again. And now he's supposed to testify yet one more time uh, and appears to want to testify. But at the same time, he's about to be sentenced for uh, his his crime. Uh, Former Hunter Biden, best friend, business partner. Uh, How how would you describe the the weight given to uh, the process? Someone like Devin Archer.
6: Well, it'd be interesting to hear more of what he has to say. I mean, there's been all of these allegations. He's obviously uh, looking at prison time. Uh, so there's, on the one hand, you've got to look at the motivation to provide information, and maybe it's going to help you at some point. Maybe you get released early. On the other hand, you have nothing to lose at this point. You want to talk and uh, come clean. So, This person needs to be heard out, and we need to have further testimony on the topic.
3: John Yattarelli, we're going to pivot now to these Gilgo Beach murders so we can spend some quality time, because I know you you know a lot about what's uh, being alleged here. Serial murder series, 2010-2011, circa era. Uh, What took until 2023 for to be where we are now?
6: So technology has evolved. That's uh, First of all, there's a lot of things that we're able to do in the law enforcement world that you couldn't do a decade ago. Aside from the advancements of DNA, which what we're learning now is growing more and more exponentially every day. So we're going to be able to do things in the future, Harry, that uh, you can't imagine. But that's part of it. The other thing is the cell phone technology. The cell phone signals that are out there and the ability to track them back, even the burner phones that this individual had allegedly used, purchasing a phone from a store that he could use one time to make the calls to these victims to set up the meetings and then dispose of the phones and never use them again. However, the FBI, law enforcement, they can go in and track those signals, what towers those phones pinged off of and where did they come back to. And hopefully even take that information and trace the actual phones to the point of purchase and by whom.
3: And they can also show those phones were near perhaps his phone that he did use with confidence that was not a drop phone, right?
6: That's exactly it. We're showing those burner phones are in the vicinity, if not very close within feet of where the subject's actual permanent cell phone might have been.
3: I've, I've watched you on the Fox News channel, I've listened to you on Fox News Radio discussing this, and I've heard you address what I'm about to ask you, John. And those just joining us is John Yannarelli, who is a retired, distinguished FBI special agent, uh, pedigree, uh, Times Infinity, uh, and a great author as well, and contributor, and, and does a lot in cyber security. John, in terms of uh, this profile, if, if we have one, does this fit – that Rex Heuerman, uh could be? I mean, he I, I think he should certainly be at least looked at, and I do believe the Atlantic County uh, prosecutor in uh, New Jersey is looking at this. Does what happened in Atlantic City a number of years ago fit this person's profile?
6: I think there's a number of parallels here, and it certainly warrants looking at – Uh, along with any other unsolved murders that may be similar. Harry, one of the things I'll tell you, somebody who commits these type of crimes, they don't do it and just say, okay, I'm good, I'm going to stop for the rest of my life. They are going to feed that desire to continue to do those sort of things. So I would be very surprised to find that uh, there were no other murders subsequent to 10 years ago. And I would look back prior to, because you don't just start by going out and committing this sort of heinous act. You build up to it. I imagine law enforcement is gonna find encounters with uh, women that were working as prostitutes, who will say, hey, I had an experience with somebody and he was very strange and I felt very threatened and might perhaps be able to identify it to the subject to where this person was able to build up and carry out these terrible crimes.
3: Is there a comfort level, too, that when you're looking at who is capable of doing this kind of thing, they're comfortable, whether it's in their backyard or if the Atlantic City case is similar to it, where you could see someone being comfortable with that? For those who haven't been following it as closely, Rex Heuerman has been charged with killing three people. He's a suspect of a fourth architect by profession, married, father of two living in Massapequa Park, Long Island. You've heard Brian Kilme talk a lot about this. Brian knows the area very, very well. I think he's within a couple of miles of Rex Heuerman. Uh, the neighbors have described him, this is fantastic, John, as, quote, a neighborhood creep, end quote. So was this guy on the radar screen for quite a while?
6: There's a lot of people you meet that rub you the wrong way. You might think it's creepy. I, I think it's hard for the average person to take the leap and say somebody would be capable of this. So the neighbors might not have suspected, but it looks like law enforcement started looking at this guy for some period of time and were waiting for having enough evidence to be able to get that arrest warrant. Last thing you want to do is arrest somebody And then, find you can't go forward. And now when you build evidence down the road, you might face a double jeopardy situation. So law enforcement was careful. I'm sure he was being monitored to make sure that he wasn't committing any other acts along the way while he was under the microscope. Thank goodness they have him in custody now. Uh, Again, everything is alleged at this point because he's been convicted of nothing. But all the facts seem to point that way. And I think you're community is safer today because of the fact he's behind bars
3: yeah i feel that way uh john in terms we have yeah we have a couple minutes uh in terms of dna and you were talking about how we have capabilities now that we didn't have back in 2010 2011 ish in terms of collecting dna once again it looks like the 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 person's own trash can is a treasure trove of evidence of dna is it is it true that a because i've heard this but i know you're going to be able to either confirm it or dispel it is it true that a pizza box from a long time ago uh has has borne important dna evidence in this case
6: if you've touched it you've left behind dna and one of the things law enforcement does it's known as a trash cover if you're a subject of an investigation and they're looking for DNA, uh, they might collect the trash you put out on the street. Once you put that out for collection, it's no longer your property. Anybody can come and take it and go through it. They'll pick it up. Now they may, they're looking for other things of evidence. But if they find something on that you would have handled, there's a good probability they're going to be able to get DNA off of it. To match against whatever they found from the victims and that's the important thing in the atlantic city case as well what they're going to be looking at is not just modus of operation and how this crime was committed they're going to look at what dna may have been left behind by the killer and see if it matches to the subject they have now
3: john Yannarelli, in our closing minute uh john spent 20 years as an fbi special agent And the FBI trusted him to be the former FBI national spokesperson, in case you're wondering why he sounds so good and can speak so well on these things. Closing comment. uh, This now could possibly not just Atlantic City. This could bring and then these things sometimes when you talk to people and and they they either get convicted or admit to certain things to try to improve their outcome, that you find out other things this suspect could theoretically uh, provide other closure for for things still not solved, right, John?
6: Absolutely, and it's in his interest to cooperate. I'm sure at some point when the evidence begins to mount, an attorney's going to whisper in his ear, let's get us the best deal possible, which it means he's never getting out, but maybe he avoids uh, certain penalties that he would be facing otherwise perhaps this person will decide to tell us more of what he knows. If not, law enforcement's going to do what they do best. They're going to continue to work these cases and hopefully solve some crimes, bring closure for families.
3: The uh, sign of a great conversation is when you feel like you just said hello and now you have to say goodbye. John, I always appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. Uh, Thanks for all that you do and for the great work that you do in in, uh, all the different uh, aspects of of your life. And good to present you today on Brian's show.
6: Harry, thanks for having me.
3: A real pleasure. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. He is John Yannarelli. I'm Harry filling in for Brian with Allison, Pete, and Eric. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's been a long
4: week, and I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of stuff suggesting I'm this, suggesting I'm that. Here's one thing I feel. I feel like everybody's entitled to their opinion. You can think... You can think something all you want to, it doesn't mean it's true, right? So, I love our country. I want to see it restored to what it once was before all this bull started happening to us. I love my country, I love my family, and I will do anything to protect that. I can tell you that right now. USA! USA! USA!
3: Who would ever believe that you would need to defend something like this? I mean, this literally is where we are as a nation, where certain people pick out of the crowd for whatever reason at that given moment, someone or something that they want to cancel. Try that in a small town, how anyone got away with floating that it's racist and all these different things that they've had to say about it. I I have to give Jason Aldean a lot of credit. He didn't cower. He didn't back down. I thought CMT pulling the video was weak, and the other side will never take something down that one or two or even if it's even if it's a significant number of people or organizations that they know are against them every day of the week anyhow. They will never take down something like this. So Jason Aldean showed that if you stay strong, you stay true to your principles and your beliefs that – They can try to cancel you, but that you can fight back. And he fought back very patriotically, very intellectually, honestly. Try that in a small town. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, partnering with Allison, Pete, Eric. I'm Harry Hurley. Brian has a day off. The Brian Kilmeade Show has earned its place, and Brian himself, you know, he always talks about the team. But Talkers Magazine has Brian as the third most important radio talk show host in America. The Fox & Friends host, One Nation with Brian Kilmeade Show host, and the New York Times bestselling author. Very excited about this one. It is available for pre-order and it will be in my library, I promise you, and you should put it in yours, Teddy and Booker T, because Brian Kilmeade is not fast becoming. He is America's historian right now. These books, like The President and The Freedom Fighter and all the other Kilmeade bestsellers, check them out at briankilmeade.com or thebriankilmeadeshow.com to keep up uh, with everything that's happening on the program. On the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline, Is one of the absolute best in the business. I'm a huge fan, Michael. Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist extraordinaire. You can follow him, his handle on formerly Twitter soon, soon to be X. Get ready for that, Michael. Uh, M. Goodwin, G-O-O-D-W-I-N underscore dash NY Post. Michael, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Uh, Good morning, Harry. Thank you.
3: Great to be with you, and uh, thanks for all the great work that you do. And it's uh, the New York Post once again leading the way. Uh, on this Devin Archer situation, I have the sneaky suspicion, Michael, that like, like with Nixon, and I think there's a whole lot more there, there, here with Biden, Inc., than there was on a stupid bungled break in that they decided to lie about. And and look what that turned into. I mean, this, we have bank records. We have now IRS Uh, credible people that that have done some of the most comprehensive, complex international cases. They've documented over 17 million to to Biden, Inc. Others have it at even more than that. Uh, You have now Devin Archer, the former best friend of Hunter and business partner, and he, he appears to me to be willing to speak before this committee, I get a little concerned, Michael, it keeps getting canceled. But uh, what can you say relative to Devin Archer? And is this getting to the point where the walls are starting to close in on the Bidens?
2: Well, look, I, I, I do think there is a continuing pattern here. I mean, you've got the whistleblowers. You uh, And don't forget, Tony Bobolinsky really was the the initial, the first whistleblower, and all of this. True, and I think that the that the panel's knowledge has continued to grow uh, with all of the different testimony that has come in, and then of course their use of the subpoena power to to subpoena the records of the banks, where we found that welter of what, twenty companies, LLCs, yes. where money was being moved around and then distributed to nine members of a Biden family. Um so that I, I think what we're seeing is a is them building a case. Uh and no doubt there's there are parts of it we don't know yet that they're working on or or that they're basically saving for public testimony. I mean they're they're acting the way prosecutors act, which is you brick by brick, yep. you build a case that the other side cannot demolish because it's covered from front to back, from left to right with evidence and compelling evidence and irrefutable evidence, really. And that's what I think we're, we're witnessing here, Harry, Is this, is this development of this solid case against the Bidens. Now, Obviously, there are the complications of the U.S. attorney, David Weiss, of Merrick Garland, whom I think is just a a partisan hack who has done Joe Biden's bidding. And you're obviously going to see the Democrats, uh, you know, not wanting any taste of this, going after the whistleblowers, going after Republicans. You've got the media just echoing the Democrats' talking points that this is this is all about uh, just smearing Joe Biden. None of it's true. Don't you know, doesn't everybody have uh, petal influence to foreign leaders? Uh, I mean, the, the things the Democrats are saying are so preposterous. It is,
3: it's terrible. My, Michael yeah. Goodwin on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline, regular all star guest on Brian's program. I'm a firm believer that, that that there's a lot of merit to sometimes the best question is the most simple question. While Americans are right now buying food on pay over time options and working a second or third job to try to make it, they start hearing about all these members, even grandchildren, having direct wire transfer, direct deposits into their accounts of large sums of money all totaling millions of dollars that cannot be disputed millions of dollars so the michael the basic question is like if you and i opened our own widget factory and we would i would name it i would give you top billing michael and harry's widgets we would be able to say look we sell widgets and we sell the best darn widgets that there are and you know go to michaelandharry.com and buy the widgets so we would have a product we would have something what Do the Bidens do to earn millions of dollars from foreign countries being sent to them so faithfully?
2: Well, look, I think that was one of the brilliant points that James the head of Oversight, made that what is what is the product that they're selling and where are the invoices uh, that say what services they performed in exchange for the money that they're demanding? Of course, there are none. This is an influence peddling. This is not about uh, providing a real service, except you are delivering then the vice president of the United States to a foreign business interest or a foreign government. I mean, even
3: Michael, even even if you do a PayPal transfer to a family member or a Venmo uh, for something, who knows for what, uh, it asks you, what is this transaction for? I'm a former— uh, Vice president of a bank, I can say that these types of wire transfers or direct deposits, they're usually, uh, if not always, accompanied by what's it for. And I think this is a big reason why there are all these suspicious transaction, you know, activity right. transaction reports that so there, th- th- there's a lot here to always unpack with the Bidens. And of course, he, he says, the president, I've never even talked to my son about his business dealings. So to me, that makes him a bad dad because I have three children <laughs> and I know all my kids' businesses and what they do, and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to learn how is their job going. So we're to believe the president, who gets credit for being the greatest family man in the world, although he doesn't acknowledge one of his grandchildren, he forgets he has one more, uh, is the greatest dad in the world and doesn't ever talk to his son. Remember, he said, Michael, that he has never, he told Peter Ducey, as you know, That I've never talked to my son about his business dealings. What father has ever said that in history? Well, and I I think
2: that's a perhaps the most interesting lie. Uh, That we've heard in a long time, because you have to ask yourself, it's so obvious. Don't forget, in 2013, Hunter Biden flew with Joe Biden on Air Force Two to China and came back with a $1.5 billion commitment from a Chinese bank for his hedge fund. So. You would have to say, then, why would Joe Biden say he's never discussed it? And he continues to stand by that claim, despite everything on the laptop of pictures of of the testimony of Devin Archer, which is coming up. He continues to stand by that claim today. I have never discussed my son's businesses with him. And my, my thinking about this, Harry, is that he had to make that lie because it's as outrageous as it is. Suppose he had said, I have discussed my son's businesses with him. Well, then the door is open. Then you have to say, if you're a journalist or a congressional investigator, well, what did you discuss? What did you do? Did you meet those people? Did you help him in any way? So that first lie, as outrageous as it was— was necessary because he couldn't entertain the follow-up questions that would inevitably come.
3: And with the cover of the Democrat media uh, and, of course, social media that locked down anybody that was telling the truth, they they got either ramped down or completely deplatformed. He got away through one election, but I would have to believe they would understand – it could never get through another. And and perhaps at that point, he was considering keeping his word that he was going to be a transitional type one term president from the unacceptable Trump to bring back all this wonderfulness that he was supposed to bring, such as Bidenomics, which is hilarious to me, Michael, because I think this is just brazen chutzpah. President Biden admitted that he didn't even know what Bidenomics was, that the media and he pointed out the Wall Street Journal in particular, giving them credit for it, that that he didn't even know what it meant. And then one day later, big banners flew and Biden delivering a speech touting Bidenomics and how it's working there. I said it. Take it away. <laughs> well,
2: look, I, I think this is another double edged sword for him. Uh, certainly, if you look at the polls, uh, his lowest f- reading is on the economy most people do not feel this economy is better for them. Um, Although there are lots of data that show different patterns and trends, most people feel that they are further off behind. And that was largely because of the inflation, which his policies uh, helped to ignite. And so people are still behind where they were, even though they've gotten, let's say, salary increases, Inflation was larger, and once you've spent that inflation money right once you paid a dollar fifty more for a tank of gasoline uh, per gallon, you never get that money back. You never really catch up with that so if inflation was up to nine percent and you got a five or a six or a seven percent increase in your income you still never catch up. You're still further behind. And I think that money is gone forever. And many people, I think, still feel that. They feel the impact of all of that spending they had to do because of inflation. So even as it recedes, they're still more uh, in the red than they were when he took office.
3: Two minutes row with Michael Goodwin. Let's make it count. Let's move on to Florida and this education issue. My longtime friend and my former governor, I think he's absolutely wrong with what he said. And I think everything that Vice President Kamala Harris said is wrong, that even CNN has said that she was wrong. Uh, Eric, let's take a listen, and we'll tee it up for Michael this way. Cut 18.
6: Well, I think two things, Margaret. First of all, I didn't do it, and I'm not involved in it, are not the words of leadership.
1: Um, You know, look, Governor DeSantis started this fire with the bill that he signed, and now he doesn't want to take responsibility for whatever is done um, in the aftermath of it. And from listening and watching his comments, he's obviously uncomfortable.
3: It's Governor Chris Christie on CBS with that, th- that nonsense. Uh, I don't agree with him on that. I don't agree that, that, that it is racist. What is your take on all this?
2: Well, look, I think that um, DeSantis is both right and vulnerable. And he I think he's right, uh, you know, way back when when he was reelected, it seems like ages ago now. But it was uh, just at the end of 2022 yep. when he talked about uh, Florida is where woke goes to die. Yeah. And I think he set himself and the state legislature, which has a Republican uh Supermajority, so that uh, uh, th- there's no question of the, of the Democrats uh, making any headway, really. Um, but that they, they took on a lot of these issues, and some of it does feel as though it was done for for to make a statement. It wasn't necessarily legislation designed only to govern the school system. It was a statement. And I think I think DeSantis himself got caught up in some of this statement making that this would be this would be his stripes for the battle ahead, which of course was running for president. And someone said to me recently, uh, this is a DeSantis donor who said to me recently, he sometimes feels as though DeSantis is running for governor of the United States.
3: Mm, that's a good comment. Um, mm. Yeah, and,
2: and, and I think there's something to that. So he has gotten trapped in this In the details of things that you know legislation is one thing and then you get the rollout of say school boards okay here's the legislation we're adhering to it here's how we're going to implement it when you're the governor you get caught up in the implementation as well
3: we have a hard break in 30 seconds and I want to get this out here the Fox News first debate hasn't even happened yet so in fairness this, this is a brutal question has DeSantis already jumped the shark I don't think so um,
2: uh, you know, the the situation with Donald Trump, of course, is very fluid. We haven't seen really any movement in his supporters yet. Uh, but we're still about, what, five months away from any vote being cast in Iowa or New Hampshire. But I think these first four states are crucial for DeSantis, they're crucial always for everybody, but I think particularly for DeSantis, if he does not perform well in Iowa, New Hampshire, and uh, South Carolina, and Nevada, if he doesn't win at least two, if not three, of those states, I think it's going to be very hard for him to catch up after that.
3: Michael, great to visit with you. My pleasure. We'll be back. That was Michael Goodwin from the New York Post. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Welcome back with Allison, Pete, and Eric. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian. And yes, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show coming up after the bottom of the hour break. A true patriot, a great American. And I know these these descriptions are overused, but they're not in the case of Joey Jones. He is a humble, good man. And we're going to visit with him coming up in just a little bit. So don't miss that. Uh, what I want to do in the, in the precious time that we have now is continue this issue about the Florida education legislation. Our vice president, who always is quick to get it wrong, did it again. Eric cut 15.
6: They want to replace
2: history with lies. <laughs> Middle school students in Florida to be told that enslaved
6: people benefited from slavery.
3: Now they lie, and always remember, this whole Biden side, pretty much the whole Democrat hierarchy right now, everything they say, they are guilty of. Like when they said, uh, don't say gay in Florida legislation, and it never did say that. Even CNN has called out Vice President Harris, Eric cut sixteen. Everybody involved in this says this is completely a fabricated issue. And yet, look how quickly Kamala Harris jumped on it. So the fact that this is her best moment, a fabricated matter, is pretty ridiculous. And Governor DeSantis really didn't help himself here. This was a bad answer. i got to give Christie this much. I don't like what he's been doing in certain respects, but this was a bad answer. Cut 17.
7: I didn't do it and I wasn't involved in it. Um, But I think um, I think what they're doing is I think that they're probably going to show some of the folks that eventually parlayed, uh, you know, being a blacksmith into into doing things later, later in life.
3: Well, I think that was a really bad answer because DeSantis took on Disney and, you know, he didn't do that. He wasn't involved in that either. Reedy Creek existed since Walt Disney and their own sovereignty. Uh, he, He got involved in Board of Elections even supported candidates, I believe, when uh, he didn't think the right things were being done. When you're governor in your state, you can't say you didn't do it, and you can't say you weren't involved, at least. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley, and it is an honor to fill in for Brian today, who has the day off. This also is is a true privilege for me. And let me let Joey Jones, who's on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline, know that uh, I did not have the privilege or the pleasure to serve, but I am the son of a World War II hero who was awarded the Bronze Star Medal two purple hearts. I watched my father pick shrapnel out of his fingernails, out of, out of just any part of his body that the, the metal would work its way out over the, the, the course of decades. Uh, so I'm very proud of my father and Joey, I am very proud of you. You are a great American and I know these terms get to be almost cliche, uh, but I absolutely mean it in, in your case. Thank you for your service.
5: Well, thank you. And thank you for your family service. Obviously, uh, the greatest generation is an important generation to us. I always try to acknowledge Vietnam veterans anytime I have a chance to be on this topic because uh, we did a bad job of that in the 60s. And uh, the, the amazing part is those past generation veterans, no matter how they were treated or what they went through, uh, they've just kept a spirit of patriotism about them from your dad to Vietnam veterans to even Gulf War veterans. And uh, so I've always looked at it as my legacy in this war on terror to do the same for, uh, for my country.
3: And I honor each each era, as you just did. I can speak about my fathers in, in this way, Joey. The generation that saved the world, the World War II veterans, they did their job, they saved the world, and they came back home, and they didn't really talk about it. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it?
5: You know, part of that, part of that history is it, they didn't talk about it when they got home because it took them a month to get back here, and they had a chance to talk about it because that's all they had to do for their – for most of them, for that ship ride back, that's one of the things that changed the most with the wars we fought after that. When you look at the stark contrast between World War II, uh, the Korean War, and then Vietnam, one of the biggest differences is, uh, you know, they called it shell shock, they called it back uh, um, flashbacks, and with us they call it PTSD. But the severity of it and how it affected them. It's so starkly different from World War II to Vietnam, and part of that is the expediency at which they came back, how they came back, where they came back to in contrast to one another. And then with my generation, I mean, you come back on a plane, and you could be back home out of the military within a month of leaving war. And uh, that's a a quick turnaround compared to what the men and women coming back from World War II experienced.
3: Such a good point. I always hated that term, shell-shocked. I just thought that was completely – Ridiculous. I also believe, and I've, I've interviewed a lot of people on this topic, Joey, that we're very good at training our military. We're not very good at the exit interview. People just get done. And uh, I hope we're improving in later years. But I don't think the exit interview part of things was handled very well. And just a quick uh, reset. It's Fox News contributor. Joey Jones, the author of Unbroken Bonds of Battle, a modern warrior's book of heroism, patriotism and friendship. You can uh, follow jo- Johnny and obviously Johnny Joey Jones at Johnny underscore dash Joey, Johnny underscore dash Joey. And this also is part of a, a great Fox News uh, piece of work as well. Uh, and and I, I would love to hear someone like you that that served in, in your time. Where you served, and, and obviously all of us who know you, know you, you left a good portion of your body on the battlefield. You lost two limbs, two legs, uh, and, and you never, you know, boo-hoo or anything. You're, I think you're just amazing uh, at so many levels. What was it about the Vietnam era? We have the World War II. They came home as conquering heroes. They saved the world. They're called the Greatest Generation. The Korean War, some don't even call it a war. They call it a conflict. They say that um, many that it's the Forgotten War. Vietnam, disgraceful. Now, you you know, a country can even be against whatever, against this war or its purpose or not believing there was a vital American interest and be against it. Why was there such visceral, you know, from Jane Fonda and some of those clowns to, uh, you know, other people that – When our Vietnam veterans came home, they were spit on, as you know, really treated very, very badly, which couldn't help but but even further create problems for the Vietnam veterans. What was it about that particular war that we, the American people, gosh, I'm using the word we, I would never do this to a veteran. I thank veterans all the time for your service. We should buy veterans their lunch when we see them at a cafe or a restaurant. What was it about the Vietnam era, Joey, that the veterans were treated so poorly?
5: Yeah, you know, i am let you in on a secret. I'm 37 years old, so I didn't experience much of it firsthand. Uh, but I have read about it and I've had yeah. conversations. So I don't know if I can answer that question well, but I can answer it from the perspective and lens that I've found for myself. I think that you know to be the most gracious in it it was a counterculture that stems probably from the culture of the 50s i mean during the 50s you know what leave it to beaver and and that yep. kind of setting looked like traditional american values uh coming back from literally being on the brink of our own destruction to winning a world war um second industrial revolution the the, the idea of going out and creating uh a new way of living we had these um towns and uh, and these subdivisions that are you know the suburbs were created, and so so much of American society changed in the fifties from the fifties to the sixties. Then you roll into the the abundance of drugs, the sexual revolution, and the idea that kids in college said, "You know what you don't have to be on board with the American government. Some of that I actually am fully on board with, and but it has to be consumed and processed and enacted in a mature way, and that's what didn't happen you basically had very similar to what we had with like the Occupy Wall Street gang. You know, we know something's broke here and our way of dealing with it is the poop on the sidewalk and live in a tent. You know, that doesn't make any sense. And so that it was very much an extension of that expression. And I think when those men and women came home in uniform to the minds of those protesters, mostly children and and misguided to be for sure, uh, they were a representative of the government rather than of the towns that they were plucked from. Uh, during the draft and I think that that inability to see um, to to see in front of your face uh, because you're you know to have your eyes crossed on it to see what's right in front of you and not see it to not understand that those men that were drafted into Vietnam were drafted they were plucked they were yep. pulled they were forced to go yep. and to, and to somehow blame them for that because they chose uh, to not dishonor their family and their country and run away or uh you know what they chose to do was go to Vietnam and risk their life to bring their brothers back home and that's what they did and god bless them for it uh you know the, the heroics of Vietnam are often overshadowed i mean when we tell world war 2 uh medal of honor stories we talk about iwo jima or um you know normandy we don't ever talk about vietnam that way even the even the awards that were given during that war we don't we don't exemplify them the only true um expression of Vietnam is this conversation we're having now, and I think it's a great disservice to the men that fought uh, to save each other and to get each other home.
3: So well said. Instant New York Times bestseller, Johnny Joey Jones, on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline. How much damage does someone like Jane Fonda, who I still don't think has apologized, uh, riding on that um, North Vietnamese tank, cavorting with the North Vietnamese enemy, how much damage does that do to the psychology of, remember, Vietnam... Veterans like John McCain, Senator McCain, and thank him for his service, I do, uh, held so harshly, beaten. The man could never raise his arms above uh, his head, but he would never complain because he would say, at least I have two arms. Some people didn't come home with arms. So amazing stuff there. Uh, But how much damage does a Jane Fonda do when they can use her – for such propaganda that they go to the people they're already torturing American soldiers and tell them how much their country hates them and don't support them. How much damage do they do, Joey?
5: I don't know. Uh, you know, I never miss an opportunity to say to hell with Jane Fonda. Uh, yeah. That's an expression I enjoy saying often. Good. It's true. It sounded um, good. There, are, there are a lot of folks that I would uh, run into a burning building for. I don't know if she's one of them, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, listen, when you talk about how much damage it does, I like to talk about the other side of it. I mean, there is no single group category of veteran that has done better per capita than returning POWs. They have excelled in life coming home from what they went through. And just about every two main studies on this, and just about every measurable outcome that we consider to be successful, whether it be start a family, career, uh, be uh, psychologically stable. Uh, not g- fall into drugs and alcohol, any uh, incarceration, any any factor that we would accept as successful or positive, they have done better as a, as a, as a pulled out group per capita than any other group of veteran. You can you can dissect by race or age or no matter what you dissect by or job, POWs have done better, and that still stuns a lot of research. That still stuns a lot of people. For me, it makes sense. When you are put in such a place of despair, of uncertainty, and, and maybe because it was one leader, maybe because it was monolithic among them, the choice is made broadly to be stoic, to be positive, to find peace within yourself, to be there for each other, to not look at years from now but look at the day ahead. How do we get through this? How do we help each other through it? When you've been brought down to that and then you're rescued and then you come home to the to the land of milk and honey, you have no choice you have no choice but to love it, appreciate it, and have an absolute burning desire to live life because you spend an exorbitant amount of time not living life. Oh boy! And, and so we don't spend enough time talking about that. Those are the people. John McCain has a much greater influence as a POW on this country than uh, than uh, Hanoi Jane ever will. Um, and so we have to. We have. We get to choose our perspective. And we have to choose a perspective that exemplifies the good rather than than simply uh, complains about the bad. I hate that Jane Fonda did what she did, but, uh, but you know what? I don't have to care about Jane Fonda.
3: Yeah, I didn't bring her up because it's obligatory. <laughs> I brought her up because she disgusts me.
5: Oh, me too. We're going to come
3: right back. I'm really happy to say we're going to do another segment with Johnny Joey Jones, the author of Unbroken Bonds of Battle, a modern warrior's book of heroism, patriotism, and friendship. And that answer was the best answer I've ever heard. On that topic of a POW coming home, they had their freedom taken. They didn't know if or when they would ever get it back. And then when they got it back, they were overachievers. It makes perfect sense. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back.
1: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome
3: back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry. Billing in today for Brian on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is author and also Fox News contributor. Of course, you see him all the time on the Fox News channel. Johnny Joey Jones, his book "Unbroken bonds of battle. You can read it. You can watch the story. What was this like uh, joey to put this all together
5: you know sometimes uh, when you're doing television you sit and the next person's talking and you've got all this pent-up things you want to say and you're waiting to say it and you just can't wait to say it and finally get the opportunity it just all comes pouring out and that's what it's like writing a book like this so much of what's in this book i have lived and thought about and experienced for so long it just felt really good to get it on paper to to form it to learn from it to write it down go back and read it and learn from it and to bring in these folks that are so important to me, such uh, so important to our country, uh, each one of them, either a military service member or one gold star wife, uh, what they've sacrificed and what they continue to do for their country, Aaron Hale, Nate Boyer, Wesley Hunt, people that are still serving in so many ways. Um, it just really felt great to go to my friends. And these aren't just people that um, I collected together for a book, uh, eight out of the 10, seven out of the 10 lifelong friends I've known for decades. Uh, these are people that I have that I have grown up with, and, and to tell their story, their experiences that I've seen firsthand, and to do it in a way that really exemplifies and amplifies and puts a spotlight on the necessity to be there for each other in each chapter showing how they were there for me, man, I tell you, I can just go on and on about how proud I am.
3: Here's another one of these uh, conundrums I have. You, you have these worthless people with big mouths that have done nothing, contribute nothing, typically don't contribute to charity, have made no real uh, lasting contribution to America, to American society. In your case, you served uh, and you volunteered to serve. You suffered a life changing injury in Afghanistan. You had to then witness this Afghanistan debacle. I don't know what went through your mind when you saw everything being done backwards that people were left last, military was taken out first, leave the Taliban you know back in charge. women lose all their rights, billions of dollars worth of equipment must make you scratch your head and say you know what what was i what was I there for what 's going on here but i 've never heard you do that type of, of thing, but how did you handle what happened to you and your love of country and, and patriotism is just it it 's so respectable and, and beautiful. Uh, how did you deal with all this?
5: Well, you know, the question, why why was I there? I, I never asked that question uh, because I know why I was there. I was there to serve my country. I was there because my country asked me to. I was there because there were men and women that were going to have to go no matter what, regardless of how I agreed with that decision. And I'd rather it be me than them. Uh, I'd rather somebody, I became an EOD tech because I'd rather be the one that walked down on the bomb than have have somebody I was standing beside have to do it. Um, So you know why was I there politically? Sure, I live in the world of asking that question. The answer to that question is we all need to ask that question before we do it again. Uh, But personally, that question is answered when I open the pages of this book and read about my buddies I was there with. Because every single guy, Amos, Danny, Greg, the first three chapters, those are guys that if I hadn't have gone and done what I did, they might have had to go do it at that time for me. And I don't know what would have happened to them. So I at least took some of that pressure off of their lives and, our, fr- and our, our mutual friends' lives. And I'm very proud of that fact, and I have no regrets whatsoever. Uh, sacrifice is necessary to get through this life, and I don't, I don't um, regret having sacrificed in any way uh, for this country or the people around me.
3: Joey, what was it like to tell the stories of these warriors?
5: Yeah, it's humbling, beyond humbling. You know, I can go on a show here on Fox and uh, reach 3 million people or 3 million homes, and that's that's insane to me. It blows my mind. It's very humbling. But to sit next to the men I just named, have a group of people 500 strong in Destin, Florida, come in to have their books signed, not to take a picture with Fox News guy Joey Jones, but to have their books signed by Joey And by Amos and by Danny and to tell each of us how important this book has been in their lives to have a Vietnam veteran come up a tear in his eye and say, thanks for helping make some of this make sense that I've lived with for four or five decades. Um, There's no more humbling and experience than to see my buddies. I get a lot of pats on the back. I'm a peacock, man. I let my feathers uh, shine. You know, I'm on TV. I, I, lost modesty when I started wearing makeup to go to work, right? <laughs> but humility is different, and and to be to be humble in a way that says my first book is not going to be just about me, and to provide that opportunity for my friends that I care so much about, man. Nothing has been more fulfilling other than being a father.
3: Joey, two minute drill. That's beautiful, by the way. Uh, two two minute drill, and this question just. It begs – in fact, we're down to a minute – begs to be answer, to ask. You said how this was just waiting to come out of you. That doesn't necessarily mean it was easy to write. Was this hard to write? Did it come easy? Talk about that less than a minute.
5: Yeah, one of the themes that came out in the book, I talked a lot about my dad that passed away in my arms in 2019. And I just realized how important he was to me and how important the lessons he taught me were to appreciating these friends and, and how seeing some of those same lessons in them reassured it to me.
3: Joey, uh, thank you for your service and continued success. You're awesome. Thank and, you. Uh, honor to interview you today.
5: Uh, thank you so much.
3: You're welcome. Author Johnny Joey Jones, giving you the whole name. Instant New York Times bestseller, Unbroken Bonds of Battle. Don't just buy it and put it on your bookshelf. Buy it and read it and share it. It's a great story about warrior heroes. We'll be back. Don't go away. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
3: This is the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who, as you know, is on the Mount Rushmore of talk radio hosts in America today today. Uh, Coming in at number three, up from number four a year ago, making steady uh, Herculean progress on the Talkers Magazine list of the top 100 most important talk radio hosts in America. And again, Brian sits at uh, lofty number three, which puts him on my Mount Rushmore of talk radio hosts and talk radio programs in America. Your Fox and Friends co-host, One Nation with Brian Kilmeade host, two websites to stay close to Brian, briankilmeade.com. And the Brian Show.com, the best-selling New York Times author, and available right now for pre-order. I'm in on it already, uh, Teddy and Booker T. I cannot wait uh, for that to arrive. Brian, I've said to him, and I've said it behind his back. He is the uh, he's America's historian right now, and I'm very very pleased to report that uh, I think I did a Neil Cavuto. I said very twice. I think that's Freudian. Uh, I really do believe that. Uh, Madison Allworth from the Fox Business Channel joins us, correspondent extraordinaire, based in New York City, and we've got a lot to talk about. Madison, I did a Neil Cavuto on you. I said very, very.
8: Yes, I noticed that. I, I'm hoping for a little bit of – Um, you had so many wonderful things to say about Brian. Anything else you want to add in about me?
3: Well, you're terrific. You do a great job. Thank you. And you're obviously you. on, you're on the Brian Kilmey Show Newsmaker Hotline, so you know what Brian – and Allison and the whole team, thanks of you. And I'll tell you what, we, we have this in common. We've both been following these wind turbines. And yes. the What I always marvel at, Madison, is the fact that, oh, oh, they were going to have them in, uh, you know, those lofty, beautiful, the beautiful people where they live. Oh, no, no, we don't want them here. You can't have them here. But we'll go litter, for example, the entire New Jersey coast with 1,000 feet tall monstrosities that they still don't know what the heck they're going to do uh what are your thoughts about all this for example the middletown uh issue the the wind turbines and we have them they're going to be right off the coast of my hometown uh, uh near atlantic city what are your thoughts
8: Yes. So, I mean, there's so many different issues at play here. What we've been focusing on today is the potential for uh, national security interruption, which should really get everyone's attention. We've been in Middletown all morning here, just outside of one of the largest naval ammunition bases, uh, and got to speak to Representative Chris Smith from New Jersey. He uh, had a bill pass on Thursday through the House of Representatives. What this bill does would require the president to sign off on – have the final signature on any offshore wind projects, assuring that they do not interfere with military radar and sonar capabilities.
3: Don't you you find it incredible that they actually – the race to do this is so ridiculous. Usually you would have state DEPs, the federal EPA. They'd be finding ways to to find a tree frog or some reason – to shut down your project the speed at which this is going is breathtaking
8: it really is the speed is incredible and it's every week there's new developments the same day that representatives still passed the house of representatives was the day that the biden administration announced the first sale of a lease land in the gulf of mexico for offshore wind so and then in this fall uh that project off of the coast of atlantic city will begin construction officially. That'll be the third offshore wind project that will be constructed. But there's many, many more that have been leased. It's just the the rate at which this land, this this ocean land is made available and how quickly it is turned. It's a breakneck fast. And yeah, all the different, uh, those that are in opposition, whether it be from uh, marine life concern, military concern, everyone's saying, prove to us that this is safe. Prove to us that the whales are not dying because of the offshore wind prove to us that our military will be able to protect our border. You think about the coast of New York, New Jersey and all the infrastructure and the population, the access, you know, if adversaries can use this offshore wind as a way to sneak in, uh, that should be a huge concern to everyone. And and you know, what they say is, why are we doing it so quickly? You need to ensure that we are safe and that we're not going green for the sake of going green and, and, uh, not looking at all these
3: other factors, and usually the going green is a very dirty process, and it, they just say they're going green, and who knows who knows what this will do? As you mentioned to the marine life, you're going to have all of this noise. Uh, these mammals operate similarly to what you're talking about with the military by sonar and and their exactly. ability to actually not get confused by sounds that, that that they're not familiar with. There's a reason why for the first time. In our lifetime, Madison, you have never, I have never, ever witnessed this many dead whales, this many dead dolphins. We have never witnessed anything like it. It's it's
8: true. Um, the numbers are astonishing. I mean, there's if you've ever seen the visual of a beached whale, it's a very disturbing image. It's such a huge, majestic animal. And I think the concern that wildlife advocates have, that really maybe everyone should have, is why are these whales dying right and yeah. so we saw a tick up start in the 2015-2016 time uh which coincidentally is also when the surveying work for this offshore wind which is Correct. done by radar and sonar uh when that all started and essentially a deaf whale if their eardrums are disrupted if their if their ability to communicate and hear is disrupted a deaf whale is a dead whale and so you know, there's a lot of people out there that are saying most likely this work. I think the challenge is um, when you do the necropsies, a lot of people want a more thorough necropsy. That is a autopsy of a uh, a deceased animal. Um, they want more information as to exactly what's happening. If it is a ship strike, why all of a sudden are these whales and other marine life dying from ships? Ships are not new. Cargo ships are not new. Uh, you know, there's, there's a narrative out there that there's maybe more cargo ships in the water because of the pandemic buying and how much stuff we were buying at home. Uh, But if you track ship traffic, there's, there's not more cargo ships. They are getting larger, um, but it doesn't seem to account for it. But I think the big thing that I keep hearing, whether I'm looking at the military aspect, the mammal aspects, whatever it is, people want more answers. And it gets back to your speed point. This is happening really quickly. And then once these things go in, these 1000 foot tall, you know, along New York, New Jersey, we're gonna have 3,400 of these things. Once they go in, the damage is done. It's harder to get them out. It's harder to mitigate problems. If we can do the research now and you can prove this is safe and this is good and this will be energy that is clean and it's not harming our ecosystem, I think a lot of these people would be interested. I think the concern is that we're going so quick and we have so few answers.
3: Great, great comment. Madison Allworth from the Fox Business Channel. For folks that took time to watch the um, British Open, you actually could get a look at what this is going to uh, to, to look like here uh, in in our country, they're hideous. They, I, in my estimation, they're, they're aesthetically ugly. They steal the beauty of looking out at the beach and the ocean. They, they they will be visible. Not all, but many of them, the ones that are closer, will be visible. They look terrible. They're a thousand feet high, like the uh, the Empire State Building. We don't know how. they – I don't even think they know exactly how they're even going to construct them in the, in the conditions that they have. And, of course, they only make power when there's wind. There's just so many reasons. And you mentioned so many important things like the military and sonar and radar. And if we throw false flags, uh, I mean, my goodness, what can happen? I'm also mindful of the fact that Martha's Vineyard could have had them, but they have so much clout, so much money, so much power. They got it stopped in a country second. So why didn't they want them? Uh, right. so they 're aesthetically garbage, uh nobody seems to care. How about just birds madison we We see right. in California, nobody wants to talk about it because they're they're so proud of themselves for being able to say how green they are, but birds get demolished by these turbines yeah the
8: the juxtaposition of um the push for green energy and then the simultaneous um, interruption and disruption of nature. It doesn't really add up. It is a confusing narrative to follow, the push for green w- with the simultaneous destruction of green, whether it be yeah. bird or ocean infrastructure, bird navigation patterns, fish navigation patterns. Um, yeah, they don't they don't line up.
3: And I, I will say that um, I'm not going to call them all out by name, but it does seem like a lot of the groups that would normally – be very, very boisterous and loud opposing this and urging for there to at least be more study. You know, my congressman, Van Drew, and others that have been on top of this in, in New Jersey, uh, Senators Palestina and Testa and others, they are saying basically, like, we're not telling you you can't ever do it, but let's just slow this down a moment and and let's see if there's uh, something here that would keep us in the end from not wanting to do this but they they don't want to they don't want to wait for anything adverse they want to rush 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 and they're too late they're all built here they are oh it's going to do this and that it might mess up sonar and radar and hurt the military and hurt the wildlife too bad now we we got to go with it now we've got it so i think groups have been paid off that would normally be i remember a group that went bananas over a natural gas line pipeline that was going to be off of a major highway, no one would ever have seen it. Clean as it gets, natural gas as opposed to transporting bottles of uh, propane and things like that. They couldn't fight that enough to stop it. But here it's all systems go. Very suspicious.
8: Yeah, I think that, you know, you're, you keep getting to that point, which is so important. I think it's the speed. And when you look at coastal communities, I, I before coming to Fox Business, I reported in Tampa and Florida, um, and I'm from New Jersey and I live in New York. Um, when you're on the coast, I, I find a lot of people care immensely about the environment and, and would also advocate for green energy because of, a, a, as a way to preserve, um, our natural infrastructure and our natural beauty. Um, but those same people are saying, you know, we want answers before this happens. And I think that's the biggest thing, uh, the speed at which this is happening with the, the lack of conviction. You talk to BOEM, the uh, Office of Energy, Ocean Energy Management, uh, Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, and a lot of their answers if you hear them testify is, we'll get back to you, we're not sure, we're looking into it. Well, we can't be looking into it as it's happening, and it to happen before these giant uh, wind farms are set up. Um, and I think that's a thing that you, you hear no matter what group you talk to, that is a consistent complaint.
3: Two Minute Drill with Madison Allworth from the Fox Business Channel. And you take New Jersey, for example, the DEP, they they raced uh, to provide public cover that there's no negative effects. How, how could they possibly know that at this juncture?
8: Right. It's just too soon. And uh, I think a lot of people in New Jersey are a little frustrated. They feel that a lot of this movement happened during the pandemic when people were at home. And um, in terms of government transparency. Things were conducted over Zoom or, you know, sessions that maybe would have been open to public or not because of the pandemic. So I think there's a lot of frustration there. It feels like a opportunistic.
3: And shouldn't we also, Madison, in the final minute, I want to turn it over to you on what I think is a really important point. Right now, it's New Jersey, and they're going to debase our beautiful coastline. But everybody listening all over America, uh, you know, this country is mostly water. They're coming for you as well the speed at which they are going after this, they're not going to be satisfied with with one or a handful of behemoth projects. They're going to take this show on the road, Madison.
8: Oh, yeah. I mean, the expansion of, of wind energy, uh, you know, I have been focusing mostly on offshore because of the mammal and military cons- concerns.
0: Sure. Uh, but yes, the
8: development of wind energy, land included, is definitely a priority. Um, and it's set up so that There are tax incentives, and there's a a lot of uh, infrastructure set up there to further promote that move. So, yes, it's not just wind, offshore wind. It's also land wind. And and we see it mostly on the east coast because of the way that our ocean bed is set up here. The west coast drops off too quickly, so it's a bit too deep. That's why you do see so many uh, lease sales for offshore wind. New York, New Jersey, Virginia. Um, but I think, as I mentioned at the top of this report, it's expanding beyond that, because just last Thursday, the same day that Representative Smiths bill passed the House of Representatives, is the same day that the Biden administration announced the first sale of leased land for offshore wind in the Gulf of Mexico. There so you
3: go.
4: It's,
8: it's continuing past the East Coast as well.
3: And, and there'll be more coastal communities around the country at some point. This is this is their beginning. It's not their end.
8: Yeah, and then I think that's why it's so important, the military aspect that impacts, obviously, all of us. Um, If if we have our East Coast border, essentially with blind spots uh, that adversaries can use to their advantage, that is a concern to anyone in this country.
3: And they will. You know it too well. Madison Allworth, great to visit with you. Harry, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. And I'll tell you, that's the first in-depth conversation that I've heard anywhere – about the military aspect you, you hear a lot of people talking about aesthetics about the the uh, the mammals and the birds and and any type of um, nature that will be disrupted uh, and injured and worse by this but this is this is at an all just heightened different level when you're talking about if the military if we lose the capacity the capability in terms of sonar and radar and we have blind spots this is very very serious and madison i'm so glad that you're on it we'll be right back this is the brian kilmeade show
1: giving you everything you need to know you're with brian kilmeade if you're interested in it brian's talking about it you're with brian kilmeade
3: Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison Pete and Eric Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who has the day off. Well earned, by the way. So some interesting news on the polling front. And you know about polls. If you're winning out the polls, if you're not, you blame the poll. And attorneys that have the facts pound the facts. Attorneys that don't have the facts pound the table. But look, it's early and it's all we have. So let's opine about it. Fox Business poll. And I'm always a big fan of the Fox methodology. I, I always find it to be fair, and I've gone into the tabulars and, and seen how they, they do what they do. They always have a representative margin of error, and uh, they do a good job. Before we cite two very recent Fox business polls for the states of Iowa and South Carolina, let's sort of take a listen uh, to that. It's kind of the sort of the breakdown of what I was saying about how if you're winning in the polls... You tout the polls, and if you're not, you've got to explain it. And there's an expression, when you're explaining, you're losing. Here is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis explaining on Fox & Friends last week on his polling uh, that has not been very good. Cut nine, Eric.
8: What about the polls? Real clear politics. That's the average. You're 33.4 points behind Trump. So how do you overcome that wide lead?
3: Well, again, uh,
7: we're doing state by state. I think even people that cite those acknowledge in the early states, um, it's much closer. So where we are in Iowa, I wouldn't trade places with any other candidate in Iowa. I think that we're on the path to be to be able to win Iowa. So that's what we're focused on. We're not chasing chasing national polls. We're really focusing on, on accumulating the delegates.
3: Well, that was inconvenient because the Fox Business poll is Iowa, and it has President Trump at 46 percent, Governor DeSantis at 16 so that's 30 points, and you should care about that, and that speaks to exactly what he was talking about. That That's the very state that he said he wouldn't want to be anyone else. That's just crazy talk uh, because Trump has led Iowa throughout, and his lead has expanded. In South Carolina, President Trump leads two who hail from South Carolina, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, by a whole bunch. President Trump at 48 percent, Nikki Haley at 14, Governor DeSantis at 13, and Tim Scott at 10 percent and that's in south carolina and the national harvard poll even worse news for anyone not named trump on the republican side and trump versus biden in the general it's the brian kilmeade show
1: radio that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show I got up and I said, I want to thank everybody for making this night necessary. So, <laughs> I don't know. It just came out that way. You know, a lot of people try to say, "Yogi." Yo. I don't even know I say it myself. I really don't. The best one, I think, too, is that when you come to the fork you the road, take it. And we have. I go at Edgemont Road and Montclair. If you go to the fork, you go on Highland Avenue where I live. Either one take you on Highland Avenue. <laughs> That's how I got that. It ain't over till it's over. I did it with the Mets. They just come out. I don't know I say them.
3: I love it. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. And Brian will back me up on this, so will Allison, Pete, and Eric. I am a lifelong Yankees fan, huge Yankees fan. Lindsay doesn't know this, and she's on our Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline right now. Lindsay Bearer, who I refer to as the keeper of the Yogi Berra Torch, The producer of the documentary film, Yogi's granddaughter, and the documentary is It Ain't Over. What other name could it possibly be? Now, Lindsay, I want to share with you very, very briefly, but this is something I'll never forget. I had the privilege to be the senior hotel executive for one of President Trump's properties in Atlantic City. In 1991, May of 1991, I met and greeted the entire living 1961 team members who all had two amazing days at our hotel. I met your grandfather, who was one of the most beautiful people, kind, humble that you'll ever meet. But you already know all that. I mean, modest as can be. So I'm, I'm in the midst. I'm geeking out like I can't believe I was 30 years old at the time. And this is the 1961 Yankee team, that special team, which, of course, Yogi was a big part of here in our hotel in Atlantic City for two days in May of 1991 at the 30 year anniversary of the 1961 team. So I had the opportunity, Lindsay, to spend some real quality time. I would say over the course of two days had to be a couple of hours with your grandfather. And uh, I, I know you'll agree that he was everything that I just described.
9: No, absolutely. He was amazing. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, and second, thanks for sharing that. That that team was super fun. Uh, um, and, and obviously, getting to see Grandpa in his element with Mickey and Roger and, and, and all of his buddies, you, that was certainly probably a special experience, I know, just from being a fly on a wall at so many dinners and stuff with them over the years. They were a hoot to be around.
3: It was incredible. And I think the modesty factor of your grandfather I, I will not say that it overshadows his greatness. I refuse to utter those words. <laughs> but because he was so modest, I think Lindsay there are a lot of people that don't realize how many World Series rings he had on every finger. Uh his stats were incredible. And then you really have to um give it to him, his offense, when you consider the beating that the catcher position uh takes on a daily basis. I'm reminded by my teammates about this amazing 1950 season that I've heard you and in other interviews with Brian mm-hmm. and others speak about. How how does a um, you know elite player uh, strike out only 12 times in an entire season? That I don't even think anyone's ever come close to that.
9: No, and and while hitting 322 and 28 home runs and catching 120 games. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I think it's it's funny. Yes, Grandpa was an incredibly modest, humble person, but – I think the stats should speak for themselves. I think his problem is more of one of like a recency bias where people remember, everybody wants to tell you, everybody on the internet wants to tell me that Johnny Bench is the greatest catcher of all time. And I love Johnny Bench. I do. And I just think he's in people's heads because he caught in the seventies and it's, you know, 20 years, you know, closer to now than, than Grandpa playing. But I think if you really look at the stats, I mean, Grandpa was just absolutely incredible, and you really can't argue with 10 World Series rings.
3: Oh, no. No, that's, a, that's why he had one for the thumb, each thumb, 10. Yeah. I mean, We th- tell all the kids at the Yogi
9: Barrow Museum, though, you know how Grandpa's wearing the 10 rings all at one time on the movie poster? It, we always tell all the kids he didn't really wear them all at once because that would be tacky. See?
3: It's so modest. <laughs> and we're very proud, Lindsay, that the Yogi Berra Museum is in New Jersey.
9: Yes, it's great. It's a great place.
3: Very, very proud. Uh, In in terms of this project, and I want to give Brian's listeners a little listen to uh, one of my favorites uh, of all time from the announcing perspective, and that is the great Vin Scully, Mm -hmm. Erica 27. We
2: lost a gem. Lawrence Yogi Berra, from the Hill, as they call that Italian area in St. Louis. I was asked today, and it made me think about him, what is his legacy? And the legacy of Yogi Berra, I believe, as long as people talk about the game, whenever they mention the name Yogi Berra, they will smile because he was that kind of a human being. Yogi Berra, one of the sweetest men and one of the great players overshadowed by some of the great names in Yankee history, like Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle, Lou Gehrig. But for instance, you know, he hit only three home runs less than Joe DiMaggio.
3: How about that? And I think that what, Lindsay, I think what Vin Scully just said is also a reason why not just intergenerationally and the big red machine and, and all of that, but the teams that Yogi played on, with these, and he's one of them. With these other icons, I think some people tip. I don't. There's no, and I'm not saying this because I'm interviewing you, his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. I would put Yogi as the great. He's the goat, the greatest of all time, and better than Bench. Uh, but I, I know why some people default to Johnny Bench. It's just easy to do for a lot of reasons, yeah, yeah. and and the media was much more prevalent in the '70s. Uh, not that there wasn't very aggressive, you know, there was very aggressive media uh, back then as well. But I think that was part of it. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that.
9: No, I do. And I think that when you're looking at the, the the like those the persona of the of the folks that they just mentioned, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Gehrig, I mean, there was like at this like aura of like you know there's a mystique around those those yankees and grandpa shows up and we talk about it a lot in the movie that people said he was too ugly to be a yankee he looked like a fire hydrant a gargoyle a, a neanderthal i mean too ugly to be a yankee i don't even know what that means right yeah. um Terrible. so maybe he didn't fit this mold that that people wanted him to fit into but on the field you know he was playing with those guys but he led that team in rbis seven years in a row with joe dimaggio and mickey mantle on the field so i mean he knew what he was doing when it when it when it came down to the actual playing playing of the baseball game and he ends up winning more than all of them and and again these guys were great friends of grandpa grandpa's when when we're making this movie we're not trying to downplay any of their accomplishments just point out just how good grandpa was and how much he does belong in the conversation as one of the greatest catchers greatest players of all time
1: i
3: tell you i love that you are doing what you're doing lindsey barra Yogi Berra, the Yankee great, number eight. His number was so special they retired it twice on the same day. (laughs) Well, Bill Bill Dickey. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You can tell I'm a big Yankee fan. I just decided (laughs) to say it the way I said it. Uh, (laughs) Lindsey Berra is the executive producer of the film and Yogi's granddaughter, and you had a lot of cooperation, including some of my favorite Yankees of all time. This was a throw for me. I got to meet Joe Torre, my favorite manager, and by the way, a heck of a player and a mm-hmm. heck of a hitter uh, in his right. Derek Jeter, uh, shortstop, GOAT, Don Mattingly, Mariano Rivera, only unanimous All-of-Fame re- uh, recipient. That includes names like Babe Ruth and others. Uh, no one ever got in with every vote. Willie Randolph Bobby Richardson Tony Kubek by the way Bobby Richardson Tony Kubek they were all at the um, the 61 Yankee reunion that we were talking about so you had a lot of cooperation with your film didn't you we had a tremendous
9: amount of cooperation and for me right off the get-go it was super important to get as many people as possible who had either played with or seen grandpa play so Bobby Richardson Tony Kubek Hector Lopez Um, Vin Scully, they were way at the top of the list. I wanted to get them first. I wanted Audrey Graziola, the widow of his best friend, Joe. I wanted Roger Angel from The New Yorker, who had been covering baseball in New York since he got out of the service in 1946, and he was 100 when we interviewed him. So I just wanted as many people as possible who could speak to what a great athlete Grandpa was, what he looked like on the field, and how he was able to impact and lift those around him on on his team. And that that was all very important to me. But then we went on to those younger guys, um, you know, Guidry, and you mentioned um, uh, Jeter and Randolph and Nick Swisher and all these people that he served as a mentor for later on in his life who were able to learn something from Grandpa. We just want to kind of – representative of all parts of, of grandpa's life and, and, and career um, just as many folks as possible who could talk about what he was like.
3: You were so smart to go get Vin Scully and, and what you did, because if you just said, Hey, you know what? We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do this. And we'll get to Vin Scully. And you waited until August of 2022. That'd be that. No, you no, would, no. You would Vin have was the very
9: first interview smart. we did in, so in when we started shooting it was the first person.
3: How did COVID-19 uh, hurt your production? It couldn't have helped.
9: Oh my God. I do not recommend making, I'm not a filmmaker, I'm just a a kid who loves her grandpa and wants people to remember him, so I had never made a movie before. Making a movie independently is very hard. Making a movie independently with a 14-month stoppage for a pandemic in the middle of it is really, really hard. I don't recommend it. Um, But the positives of the pandemic for us were that it gave us more time for our wonderful editor, Julian Robinson, to dig through more and more and more archives Bible footage and some of the stuff that he found, um, he never would have found if he hadn't had the time that the pandemic gave him so there's some really great stuff in, in the movie there's there's footage of my grandparents wedding that I had never seen before I don't know where Julian found half of this stuff wow. so that was a blessing of, of the, the pandemic um, and just that it really gave us time to kind of get things right and, and organize rights for the music it was difficult to get uh, the rights to it ain't over uh, the Lenny Kravitz song which is in our credits and, and if you watch the movie the credits are wonderful everybody I really recommends sitting through the crickets, credits we really like kind of fill them up Marvel style because we had all this extra good stuff that we wanted to put in there um but anyway yeah the pandemic helped it gave us a little bit more time to sort out music and 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 really put the finishing touches on the on the project
3: Lindsay barra executive producer of the yogi barra documentary the film it ain't over about lawrence peter yogi barra what you don't hear a lot about is that yogi enlisted into the military, Mm -hmm. enlisted into the Navy. You know, you hear over the years, uh, Ted Williams lost five years of his career during World War II, flyer, and all this, and and I honor that service. You don't hear a lot about Yogi being on the beach during D-Day at Normandy, which, as you know, Lindsay, took a lot of people out that day.
9: Yeah, it was it was before his baseball career, which is I think why a lot of people don't um mention it. And it's actually grandpa used to tell a story about how when he first met Bob Feller, Bob Feller wouldn't talk to him and somebody said something about it, and Bob was like, well, he didn't serve his country. And Grandpa was like, what are you talking about? I was in Normandy, and it took, and it was, it was kind of changed everything, But because Grandpa didn't run around kind of mentioning that he was on a rocket boat, right? But you're right, he volunteered before he had a chance to be drafted. Um, he was playing for the Norfolk Tars in, in, the, in the Piedmont League down there wow. in Virginia, and he literally just walked up the street to the naval base and said, here I am, what do you want me to do? And only my Grandpa Yogi could be bored in basic training, so he volunteered for what at the time was Secret mission, and he ends up uh, training for the rocket boats for the invasion of Normandy. He was on an LCSS, landing craft support small, and he was a machine gunner providing cover fire for our troops going ashore. And, you know, when you think about perspective, I I talk a lot about this. My grandfather's known as one of the greatest clutch hitters in the history of baseball. And I think that those days uh, during the D-Day invasion really gave him some perspective. When you've seen a real life or death situation, you – when you get up with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, you know that that's not actually uh, life or death and, and clear heads prevail and you're able to go out there and do your job and, and, and hit the ball. And I think he just approached every day of his life with such a profound sense of gratitude. He knew he got the chance to come home from World War II when so many other men did not. And he ends up playing a kid's game for a living. And how can you not but have fun uh, knowing what you went through to get there? So I think that really, that experience. In the war gave him a lot of perspective that he carried throughout his life.
3: Lindsey was Yogi Berra also known for not that he didn't swing at good pitches, but he I think he was known as <laughs> a prolific at I know, playing bad pitches all the time. But but, I, but I, the, the it's a compliment and I really mean this because I want to say he swung at good pitches, but he was a prolific bad ball hitter, wasn't he?
9: He was. He said they all looked good to him, which I also think is a commentary on how he saw the world. He was very able to make, um, you know, lemonade out of lemons. But he just used to say if he could see it, he could hit it. He had such. A tremendous uh, hand-eye coordination. He had this huge, like meat hook hands. He was super strong. He was very able to control the barrel of the bat through the strike zone, and in a lot of cases, out of the strike zone. Um, he had no problem poking a ball the other way, going with the pitch, and it was just, you know, making contact. He loved hitting. Making contact was important to him. Swinging through a ball was no fun. So, like I said, he always said if he could see it, he could hit it, and he saw them all. And what he was able to do, you know, driving balls opposite field, hitting pitch out of the strike zone for home runs um it's pretty incredible um there's actually my dad and i and and my uncles we've all been stopped on on numerous occasions by people who say they saw grandpa hit home runs on balls that bounced in front of the plate can't find any proof of it but i also don't not believe it so i'm I'm gonna go with the (laughs) the ladder
3: i'm going with the ladder because you're lindsey barra about 45 seconds to a hard break sure do you have a favorite yogiism?
9: My favorite ones are the existential ones. If the world were perfect, it wouldn't be the future ain't what it used to be. But all the yogisms are super, super practical, and if you can get past the initial silliness, they're really applicable to everyday life. I do, before your heartbreak, just want to tell people you can watch It Ain't Over, Grandpa's Documentary, on Amazon Prime, on Apple TV, on demand through your cable providers. It's still in a few theaters around the country, but definitely available to watch at home on demand, and and I hope everybody uh, gives it a watch and enjoys it.
3: I've watched it. It's amazing. Like a real quick response to this. What kind of thrill was this for you to be able to do this for your grandfather?
9: Oh, I just Honestly, I just wish we'd been able to do it when he was alive, but it's super important for me to, to people for people to remember who he was and just that as great as he was as a baseball player, he was an even better human being, and I think that's so important to give people role models like that to look up to.
3: Lindsey Barra, executive producer of the film, It Ain't Over. From Sony Pictures Classics. I've watched it. It's awesome. Lindsay, all the best. Great to speak with Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Pleasure. When we come back, a little bit more of The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Thank you for spending this portion of your day here on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison and Pete and Eric. My name is Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who has the day off. Now, remember, Colonel Vindman had to be believed. So Nancy Pelosi was in a little bit of a sticky wicket when she was asked about, you know, the whistleblowers, the IRS whistleblowers. Eric, let's take a listen. Cut six.
1: What a ridiculous Clown show. I have
9: respect for whistleblowers, but the fact is that from the basis of that hearing, they didn't even have a fair shot at what they came to say in light of the clown show. I'm not confident of, about what the whistleblower said.
3: Just awful. And she was awful. Awful speaker twice. Amazing how we repeat the same mistake. Uh, terrible once, terrible twice. That answer was ridiculous. The clown show was her fellow Democrats. The IRS whistleblowers had credibility just on steroids times infinity. They were that good. And they had facts, not lies. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.